podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. So hello and welcome to a brand new episode of the DNF1 podcast. My name is Adam, your host for this episode, and joining me once again, my co-host, Mr. Courtney Pine. Courtney, good evening to you. How are you doing so far? Are you okay? Hello, everyone. I'm doing fine. Um, just like to quickly say, Adam, I hope you're feeling better. I know you've been poorly lately, so mm. keep strong, mate. And uh, you seem a lot better than you was last week. And um, yeah. I'm sure you'll be back. I'm sure you'll be back to strap five for winter mode very soon. <laughs> Yeah, no, absolutely. Thank you. And um, no, for those of you not sure what Courtney's talking about, um, so th- this is kind of why we didn't have a retro episode on Friday. Normally, those of you that have been following this podcast for a while now would know that we normally have a retro episode on Friday. We recently started that series, but we weren't able to record an episode. Um, reason for that is, unfortunately, I had COVID. And, um, you know, I, I'm not sure if I still have it or not. My isolation period has ended now. So I imagine I'm on the mend. Um, I had some mild symptoms and I'll be honest with you guys, for those, if you haven't had it, I definitely don't recommend it. So um, please do whatever you can to stay safe, follow the guidelines, don't take any unnecessary risks and just look after yourselves because it's absolutely not fun. And, um, you know, considering the way that I'm feeling, I'm one of the lucky ones, you know, so a lot of people unfortunately have not been so lucky. It, yeah. So, um, so that's why I'm, you know, I'm sorry we weren't able to get that out for you, but we will be doing another one of those soon. So we haven't abandoned the series after one episode, of course not. But uh, do let us know in the comments, of course, what race you'd like us to cover. Um, we we threw a few about about for the um, retro series. We did the 2008 Brazilian Grand Prix. So if you haven't already seen that, make sure to check that out. I'm gonna put a card up there for that one. And um, yeah, so let us know what races you want to cover in future episodes of that. But getting into this episode. Of course, Courtney, um, you know, there's been a lot of talking points over the winter break so far. Most of those have been around Lewis Hamilton's situation with Mercedes and the latest developments with that. As far as we're aware, there isn't really anything new. And to be honest, it, it's different stuff that you hear every single day from different people. It's always a lot of contrasting stories and not necessarily any reliable, credible sources that can give us any sort of indication as to whether he's going to stay or not, although we're both of the opinion that he's probably going to stay anyway. Um, I think Toto Wolf had an interview about that just recently because he, funny enough, um, like myself, he actually tested positive for COVID. Um, oh, I don't know that. Yeah, no, it was quite recent, actually. Toto was talking about, you know, he tested positive for COVID in January. Um, he said, thankfully, he didn't have any symptoms, you know, so that's good to hear. Um, but, uh, you know, he's out of quarantine and feeling well. So is Lando Norris, of course, who also, you know, a lot of people have been getting it in January, but um, this isn't a COVID podcast, of course, but they were asking him about Lewis Hamilton's situation. And all he could really say was, you know, in response to Lewis um, doing some skiing and ski marches up some Alps, which, uh, you know, he said, you know, there's a few little things that we've got to sort out, but nothing major. And he seemed pretty confident that Lewis was going to sign. And I am too. I mean, would Lewis be going to this much effort and all this preparation if he wasn't planning to stay on with Mercedes beyond, obviously, you know, uh, now that he hasn't got a contract? I mean, we could see a very strange situation like we did in 93 with Ayrton Senna, where he, uh, for those of you that remember this, he actually 
was in contract talks with McLaren in 93 and then didn't sign a new contract at the time. And then for half the season, he was uh, sort of like paid by race, really. He raced whenever he had a contract or he was paid in advance. I think it was up to like a million pounds a race at the time. And uh, sometimes he wouldn't turn up to venues until the money was in his bank account. And then he'd just turn up and do what Ayrton did best. So I'm not saying that that's going to happen with Lewis, but it'd be really interesting to see if it came down to that, where Lewis just turns up whenever Mercedes pay him to. Again, not implying that this is about the money, but there have been a lot of reports saying that there are a few obstacles and one of those is the financial element. And I'd be surprised if they weren't, but I'm sure there's a lot more to it than that. We certainly do not know the facts and I'm not going to pretend that we do. But um, look, that, that aside, this isn't going to be another episode about Lewis Hamilton. We're going to move on to the main talking point of this episode and... We haven't spoken much about them in the winter break, Courtney, but I think it's fair to dedicate an episode to these guys, and that's Ferrari. Oh, Um, you're going to love this one. (laughs) Absolutely. This is one that I've been looking forward to doing, but ultimately we've been talking about 2021 predictions, and we are going to be doing an episode on that. We did say last week that we were going to do that. That's been pushed back to next week where we'll be recording with Menena, uh, Girl Talks F1. So we're really looking forward to working with her. She's a very, very uh, bright young woman working in Formula One, doing great stuff. And we're really looking forward to having her on the show. So definitely check that out next week. But until then, we wanted to discuss Ferrari's prospects for 2021 in particular, because Ferrari, Courtney, have been a bit of an enigma in 2020. And even still... Um, will continue to be that enigma purely and simply because they have been massively underperforming for a while now. And this culminated last season in the absolute shambles, for lack of a better way of putting it, um, of performance from them as a whole, where they recorded their worst finish in the Constructors' Championship since 1980, where they ended up finishing 10th overall. And ultimately, I think we need to look at how that came about and also what Ferrari need to do, in our opinion, and also a few of you who have kindly weighed in on this as well, on what Ferrari are expected to do this season and realistically, how can they achieve their objectives, Courtney? Well, you look at last season and you they, they surely can't do um, any worse than they did last season. As, as you said, it was shambolic. There's no other way to put it. Um, for a team of Ferrari size, they are the biggest team in Formula 1. And they should be, they don't have a, a divine right to win, but they should be, I'd say, the top three, regularly in the top three, or at least competing for championships. You know, particularly given how long they've gone without a championship, it's about time they get themselves up there again. Um, I'll look at next season, and it's probably a season of recovery. I don't expect them to be right at the top. I expect Mercedes and Red Bull to be in the league of their own again. But they need to be aiming for to be at the top of the midfield or at least third because they cannot afford in more ways than one to be struggling towards the bottom again. Mm. Well, third place and ahead of the midfield needs to be the minimum objective in our opinion. And Matty Bonotto also has the same opinion himself. He called last season a very inadequate season. A Ferrari can't afford to repeat that this year. Um, I mean, that almost goes without saying a team of their stature. But, um, you know, it, it, it's weird that we're talking about Ferrari in a sense that then, you know, some of us might believe that they're not capable of overcoming this, uh, these shortcomings that they've had. And the reason perhaps why that may be, and, you know, feel free to weigh in and correct me if I, if this is wrong, but 
Ferrari have been a team in their history that have always had these highest of expectations because of their history, because of their resources, mm-hmm. because of the fact that in a long, in a lot of ways, more than perhaps any other sport in the world, Formula One needs Ferrari in some regards more than Ferrari needs Formula One in terms of the stature. A lot of people might not necessarily agree with that, but you, if you take Ferrari out of Formula One, the sport loses so much luster. And you can't really apply that to any individual athlete or team in any other sport, not in the same way that you can with Ferrari and Formula One. And because of that, there's always the expectation that Ferrari will be one of the teams, if not the team, that will go on to win championships and successes. Mm. And Adam, can I cut in quickly? Yeah, don't, sure. don't you think that's but don't you think that's a part of the problem that Ferrari have? You know, if you if you've watched regularly, you're probably mm. sick of hearing me say this, but I personally feel that the pressure that comes with being at Ferrari, developing cars, or even being one of the drivers, I, I personally believe that's one of the reasons why they've struggled. Because if you have to look back like way in the past, this isn't the first time they've had a bit of a, should we say, a bit of a bad time. If you have to look back towards the, the 80s to the mid-90s, they were nowhere to be seen. I had like, the, odd, the odd flourish with Prost in 1990, I believe. Mm. But they had, they've had long periods in the past where they struggled and Given the resources that they have, you know, like the size that they are, in principle, they should be at the front regularly. But I think a lot of the time, the, the pressure that comes with being Ferrari has led to the downfalls that we're seeing today. It does. And I think that's a fair point to make. You know, you can say the same for almost any dynasty of that stature in any sport. Mm. But at the same time, it's not like this is Ferrari's first time to the dance. You know, Ferrari have been in the position of dominating world championships in Formula One, uh, winning races all of the time. You know, even when Ferrari was in its darker days, there was always a belief that eventually Ferrari would come back to the front. Hmm. And they always have. And, And this time is no different. My argument is that, you know, there is a fear that despite what people were saying at Ferrari, and it's very easy to take what they're saying uh, at a value where, yes, Ferrari will eventually come back. We need Ferrari to come back. But there is always that fear that because of the fact that they've underperformed so often, especially in this modern era, that Mm. it's not as straightforward as it may seem. Like you can see reports and stories that come out in the the Italian national press. So about, um, you know, the engine, for example, the the quality of this engine. But there are conflicting reports on both sides saying this engine is going to be amazing or it's not going to be as good as they think it is. And, you know, we've seen this for a while now, and more often than not, it tends to be the latter, where Ferrari end up coming up short and in quite some margin. So there is that added pressure, I agree, and naturally that will come from being a top, top team. But I think it stems more about the fact that because of Ferrari's reputation of being a team that has not lived up to the expectations that it sets, and rightly so, um, you know, the results don't lie in that regard it adds more pressure to them in terms of do the pe- are the people there right now or the current processes or structures that exist at the moment at Maranello, are they good enough to take Ferrari back to the top or take it from the midfield to the top team on the grid in the same way that Mercedes did back in the early 2010s, you know, the big restructuring there and it all came together. There's a lot of reasons we can look into as to which way you think on that one, but let's dissect this bit by bit. And let's have a look at what we think needs to be improved at Ferrari and what they're trying to do. And then let's decide whether or not how realistic these aims are. Because I think you and I can both agree that 
being ahead of the midfield, yes, that's the minimum target, but it's also a very realistic target. I don't think mm. anyone thinks that Ferrari are going to, you know, have an incredible winter break with this carry over into 2021 and then all of a sudden be challenging Mercedes and Lewis Hamilton in the same way that they were in 2018 and 2017. That's not going to happen. So we can forget that. Um, but of course, as I said, it might be more realistic to target McLaren, who at this point were yes. the best constructor, Aston Martin and Alpine, of course, formerly Renault, and maintaining any advantage they had over Alpha Tower. So let's get into it. And let's look at, you know, the important elements at Ferrari and where we feel they need to improve in order to make their objectives or meet their targets of a third place finish in 2021. So the first things first, the primary objective that Ferrari needs to achieve in order to realize their targets is to improve the engine. Absolutely. Um, now, the engine, as we know, for those of you that obviously aren't aware of how Ferrari got into the predicament that they were in, back in 2019, Ferrari had, uh, at the time, the best power unit on the grid. They'd not only spent the last couple of years catching Mercedes, they'd raised the bar and set it to a level that not even Mercedes could match up to. So at a time, um, there seemed to be some level of wrongdoing. And Ferrari at some places had as much as a 25% uh, brake horsepower, not percent, 25 brake horsepower advantage over Mercedes in, uh, in particular. And then, of course, there were a lot of technical directives that were being looked into at Ferrari with the engine regulations and the legality of it, which were never formally proved in the investigation. It must be stressed that this was the case. But in cooperation with Ferrari, there were some, um, how can I say, refining of the regulations to remove any sort of loopholes in cooperation with Ferrari the, uh, the FIA had set these in place but at a cost Ferrari had to make a revised engine at very very short notice implying that some of the things that they were doing um, were not in the true spirit of the sport or at least in the true spirit of the regulations so this ended up creating a situation where Ferrari were 25 brake horsepower ahead of Mercedes and then all of a sudden were 40 brake horsepower down um, and, and that takes into account everything that had happened over the winter break where Mercedes had made improvements in their performance etc etc Ferrari ended up going from being the best engine manufacturer to being the worst the double-edged sword with this was that not only did Ferrari lose its engine performance advantage, but because of the fro fro uh, the freezing development over the season, Ferrari were not able to recoup any mm. of this back in season. You know, and this this was a huge blow to them at the time, Courtney. Uh, the, there are a couple of issues. You know, the first you've already raised, there are conflicting reports. So they could have made a big game going, coming into this season or it could well be minuscule. It might be disappointing. We'll, we won't know until we get into the first race because even in testing, we know there's a lot of sandbagging. Hmm. And also, the other problem is, let's not forget the other manufacturers for our um, Mercedes, uh, Honda and Renault, they, have, they don't stand still either. And the problem with Formula 1 is if you get, metaphorically speaking, they were pulled down, weren't they? They, they, they were dragged down in terms of engine performance. Hmm. They were pretty much handicapped. And the problem that is, all the other teams aren't standing still either. So even if Ferrari have made big games, who's to say that Mercedes, for example, or even Honda haven't done the same and they still find themselves at a similar gap behind, you know, even teams like Aston Martin and McLaren, but they will be still having Mercedes engines. Hmm. So that could become an issue for them. If, if, they're still, if there's still a massive gap, 
in terms of engine performance, they could find themselves struggling to compete against teams like McLaren and Aston Martin. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, um, you know, of these reports that we're referring to, um, you know, from the Italian media, some have been saying that Ferrari's uh, engine superfast project, if you like, has been, uh, you know, has been relatively successful in trying to recoup around about 30 to 35 brake horsepower, which is quite a lot in Formula One. Yes. I mean, we're, you know, we're talking about these cars that engine performance wise can churn out as much as a thousand brake horsepower today and that is incredibly important so you'd think where does 35 extra come into that but it really does make a difference and where ferrari struggled in particular last season not just with the engine issue but the car that they had designed at the time was with a more had a more downforce like concept in mind and it came at a cost it came at a cost of increasing the amount of drag that was on the car it made it very unstable. And the way around that was Ferrari were hoping to have the power unit that they would have had if what the, if it would found that Ferrari were in breach of the regulations. Again, we don't know if that's true in terms of if they were, but upon the evidence that we got, it seemed that Ferrari weren't exactly operating under the rules in the right spirit. So let's assume that you know, that they weren't and they'd lost whatever advantage they had or what they would have had with the engine that we never saw. And ended up having to make a revised engine at short notice, which was well down on power. And they also had a very draggy car because of this new concept. They couldn't just make a new car overnight. They were stuck with what they had. This car was an engine pairing was never, ever intended at Ferrari. We'll never know how well they would have done with, um, you know, an improved 2019 Ferrari engine in that car. You know, that's all down to speculation. So these contrasting reports that we saw, it's hard to say how reliable they're going to be until pre-season testing. I mean, there was a time, Courtney, if you remember at pre-season testing, when nobody believed that Ferrari were off the pace. We thought, as you said, they were sandbagging, but they weren't. That was the weird part. Mm. For once, yeah, for once, it's... I don't know. It's so so, so tough to tell where they're going to... Like, As I've already said, we won't know until the first race. Like... Even like you have a look at all the other teams around. I just expect it. Where where we expect it to be so close between Mercedes and Red Bull, there's going to be so much of that happening in, in pre-season. So yeah, until we get to the first, and I'm, I'm sure it's frustrating for Ferrari fans because they're waiting so long to see. Are we? Are, is our team going to be finally up there again? Unfortunately, folks, I think you're going to have to wait until the end of March to get answers to that one. Mm, absolutely, I don't think anyone's really going to know. Uh, even in pre-season testing, we've got three mm. days worth of running before the season starts. So we may not even get a proper indication then. It's probably all going to be revealed in Bahrain. It's a pretty good circuit to see how good that Ferrari engine is going to be. Um, no one's expecting, as I said before, Ferrari to overhaul the entire field in one winter break or one let's, or a year since they've had to develop this engine because they've had no in-season development as that was frozen. That will be the same this year. So there'll be one big change that they can make and that will be introduced at the start of the season, no doubt same for everybody it's not unrealistic to expect ferrari to get off the bottom of the engine pecking mm. order having said that it's not a big list we've got four engine providers one of which honda probably aren't aren't going to be in formula one beyond 2021 from what we understand at this point in time so they're competing with renault and mercedes in this regard and it's not unrealistic to expect ferrari to overhaul renault but at the same time we have to wait and see how good that Renault engine is going to be because they've themselves, Renault, yeah, that's right. I was going to say, Renault themselves have already they, they 
they they put some great performances. If you have a look at some of the races last season, like um, Spa and Monza, they are right up there because they had they had such a good engine. So I don't think it's going to be so easy to get ahead of um, Renault. No, absolutely, and I, I agree with you on that one. I think it's going to be very hard for them, but I do expect Ferrari to make some gains or at least reduce the deficit somewhat how much we'll have to wait and see depends on how true those reports are and it's as i said you're never really going to know until the first race of the season where the stopwatch will reveal everything but the engine has to be the primary point of improvement i think you and i can agree corny that if ferrari fail to improve their engine they're going to have a very difficult season and not just them but Haas and alfa romeo Mm. who struggled a lot as, as a result of Ferrari not being able to provide them with a powerful engine. And the problem is with that midfield being as tight as it is and the direction that Formula One tends to be going in in general with the midfield teams almost becoming like academy teams for the big teams like Ferrari, Mercedes, etc. If Ferrari find themselves engine-wise behind an Alfa, Alfa, Alfa Romeo and Haas are struggling... That gives up a massive conundrum for Ferrari, for Ferrari as a team and the teams around them to start thinking: Should we go on to 2022 faster? Because this season does have big implications for the regulation changes. So there's these are massive times for Ferrari. Let's not understate this. These are massive times for Ferrari. And mm. another thing worth mentioning: Despite them being the biggest team, they can't afford to be losing the prize money. They can't afford to be finishing in the lower echelons of um, the championship because the, these things do have effect. Uh, we saw this with McLaren. When McLaren started to struggle, they struggled to get sponsorship, they struggled to get investment, and these things can tend to snowball in a negative way. So let's let's not understate this. This season is massive for Ferrari. Hmm. Well, this is like we were saying at the beginning of the episode is that just because Ferrari have all the resources and the tools available to be a success does not guarantee that it will. And I think. No team more than anyone else in Formula One, of you know, like Ferrari, have had everything that you could possibly want and not lived up to expectations. And this is ultimately why Ferrari have not won a championship since 2008, constructors-wise, and a driver's won since 2007. You know, it's a long time. Forget the Mercedes so. dominance. You know, every Mercedes, McLaren, Red Bull have all had their... Even Braun all had their periods where they were successful. And Ferrari every time always came up short or didn't meet expectations for one reason or another. And it's never, it's just one thing. And even if it is, it's always something else. So if they address one issue, there's a new one that surfaces itself and costs them more. So this is a bit unique where there's like multiple issues that Ferrari do need to address. This is not an easy fix. And I think, you know, it brings us nicely to the next part corner is, you know, we talked about the engine. The other issue was the car. Now Mm -hmm. I'm glad you mentioned McLaren back when they signed up with Honda back in 2015, because a lot of people um, probably felt at the time that McLaren's decline started then. Reality was it started about two years before that in 2013. Mm, You know, that McLaren have not, I mean, excluding this season, McLaren have not really had a competitive car since 2012, when arguably they had the best car after the last race of the season. They never carried that over. Um, you know, Lewis Hamilton left the team and, you know, it could probably took a lot of knowledge and technical, you know, prowess with him that McLaren probably could have benefited from that Mercedes did instead, you know, make of that what you will. 
But over time, you know, they really struggled to get it right. And then, of course, Honda came along and that gave McLaren almost a bit of a buffer, especially with Fernando Alonso, to point the blame at Honda and their inefficiencies. Now, let's not get things twisted. There were issues at Honda. You know, the, the engine was very unreliable. Um, if fuel management was terrible, the power output was not very good. They were almost like they were running with uh, one shoe on. Uh, you know, the Fernando Alonso made the famous GP2 comments and, you know, everything else. I mean, that was blockbuster radio stuff. Absolutely it found it hilarious. Um, you know, and I can't wait to see more of that from Fernando this season. Hopefully, he will have much better fortunes than he did last time. But what that meant is that when McLaren changed to Renault, we started to see that the car was not as good as McLaren thought it was. It's almost as if they were, perhaps they were trying to convince us so much that it wasn't their fault, that they almost took it as a surprise themselves that their car was an absolute false dawn. And Ferrari are having the same issue as well. It's very easy to look at the engine. And we've said this already, being the primary uh, area that they need to improve on. But it's very easy to ignore the fact that the rest of the car was not very good. I mean, let's be honest. The reason why they went that draggy concept to get more downforce is because they knew that the downforce was not good compared to Mercedes. That's the area they needed to improve on and probably why they had a bad 2019 season because the engine was fantastic, um, albeit not necessarily legal. But without that engine, it kind of exposed the other areas of the car where they struggled. And I think you and I will agree, Courtney, one of the areas in particular was the lack of rear end stability. I mean, it was terrible. Yeah. It was like it was like driving a free wheeled shopping trolley on an oily floor through Tesco's. It's absolutely terrible. Um, and, and, and it culminated a lot in not just Charles Leclerc's performances not being consistent at times, but really affected Sebastian Vettel in his final seasons for Ferrari. Um, when it comes to the aero part, you know, it's, it, again, it's very easy to say, oh, yeah, we can just get back up to the top, you know. But Ferrari have definitely suffered, again, due to, to, due to the successes that Mercedes and Red Bull had. Because for Ferrari to get to the top, let's, let's think about it this way. For Ferrari to get to the top aerodynamically, they have to outwit Adrian Newey at Red Bull, which we saw, you know, we've seen throughout his career. I, I still think today he's, he's still the, the best aero designer. So they have to with Adrian Newey, and also they have to do the same with um, James Allison at Mercedes because James Allison's contribution to Mercedes has definitely contributed to their continued dominance after 2016. Because we all thought that, that the Mercedes dominance was mainly down to the engine, but the influence that James Allison has had, particularly from 2018 onwards, is definitely yes, definitely kept Mercedes at the very top. So for Ferrari to do this, they have to outwit two of the best designers in the sport. Mm, one of which they had at their own team for some time. Yeah, that's right. Um, in James Allison. It, it's crazy when you mm. think about it because, you know, Ferrari have got very, very good people there. And, you know, we mentioned some names in the past, like Aldo Costa, um, Rory Byrne, two of the people that were very, very uh, significant in the success they had at the early 2000s. And in a large way, Rory Byrne in particular, very, very much involved in the 2017 car, which was challenging for the world championship, which until it ran out of steam. You know, those people weren't really involved so much in these current cars. And it shows 
Um, you know, Ferrari, as I mentioned, the rear instability was such a big factor. And I think a lot of people overlook this with Sebastian Vettel. I mean, yes, Sebastian was not performing anywhere near as good as we know he can and anywhere near as good as we know he will at Aston Martin. I think anyone who knows anything about Formula One knows Sebastian will in some form be back with Aston Martin. Even if it's not at the very front of the grid, he's certainly going to be more prominent in those upper echelons, as you mentioned before, compared to what he was last season. You know, so we can go into loads of reasons as to that. But the car itself was very poor. It was very draggy, as I already mentioned. They went with the aero concept. It didn't really work. The chassis wasn't great. Um, you know, Ferrari were making uh, improvements aerodynamically-wise throughout the season. But it became very obvious towards the latter part of the season that the rear-end instability uh, combined with the poor engine really made it suffer, particularly at the low downfall circuits. I mean, it, remember watching at Monza, how poor for... I mean, neither of them finished the race anyway, but the most surprising factor was when Charles Leclerc was in the top three after the safety car and the issue with Lewis Hamilton's penalty and everything else. Um it was almost like how in the world did Charles end up there? But you knew that eventually he was going to get pulled back further and further down the field until eventually he retired. Same happened in Belgium. Russia, of course, was a tough race for Ferrari in that regard. So, you know, they, they went with that concept in it at Gamble and it completely backfired. It relied solely on the engine. The good news for Ferrari, you know, let's, let's talk about the positives on this, is that, you know, they're aware of a lot of these shortcomings in their cars. They're going to be spending their rear the tokens developing the rear of the car you know they said this for a long time and i said this um back in pre-season testing last season not to get too technical that if you improve the rear end of the car it serves in two ways one you improve the stability of your car and it's better rear end performance but it also helps the aerodynamics at the front of the car so you're kind of killing two birds with one stone for lack of a better way of putting it and this is good news for ferrari and this will give them a lot greater scope to develop their car as the season goes on, because that rear end of the car is going to be an area that Ferrari will allow, be allowed to develop throughout the season. So assuming they get things right with that concept, Courtney, whichever way they go down, it will go some way to help Ferrari make those necessary incremental gains in the midfield to take it from being right. uh, sixth to being best of the rest behind Red Bull Mercedes at least. Yeah, that's the main area, You're right? That's the main area. If they get the rear end right and they get the engine department, get them on a similar level to at least Renault, then mm. we should be, with that combination, we should be expecting um, Ferrari, as Benotto stated, to be at the top of the midfield or third. Mm. Absolutely. And as I said, there's a lot of carryover from 2020 to 2021. So this is a hard thing for Ferrari to achieve because there's not much scope for them to develop around the car in general. I'll be honest with you, if we didn't have the 2022 rules and we didn't have this freezing regulations owing to COVID, um, you know, the global situation, financially, not everybody could commit that level of resource. So they've had to really clamp down on what they can and can't improve. Ferrari would have a much better time in trying to just produce a brand new car and just abandon the concept and say, all right, this is what we're going with. They can't really do that. They don't have that luxury. So this is kind of what they have to work with. Hopefully they can find a way around it. I think this is definitely a good place for them to work on. But we'll have to wait and see how they do it. As I said, until you turn up to pre-season testing, we're never really going to know if Ferrari have been able to fix those shortcomings. And there certainly are a lot of them there. But, um, you know, away from the car, you know, the, the obvious things that we can see, there is, there's always been organisational issues at Ferrari. 
You mentioned already the pressure that the team has been under and perhaps the micromanagement issues that they've had where, you know, the, the holding company at Fiat and Ferrari senior management have been perhaps too involved in Ferrari's development and which direction the team has been going since probably around Fernando Alonso's time at Ferrari. Um, you know, there's always been an issue in terms of development. And Ferrari, unlike other teams, they don't necessarily until now at least, they don't necessarily work in an environment where they have all the separate departments that kind of work in tandem so that they have an agreed plan or outline. It's almost as if um, you have your blueprints and Ferrari operate this area, that area, that area, all loads of pieces of a jigsaw and then try to put it all together. What you end up finding is certain situations where they don't really work in tandem with each other and you end up with square pegs trying to put them in round holes it doesn't really work in formula one like that, but this is something Ferrari have struggled with for a long time. Recently, one way they've tried to combat this and they introduced this halfway through last season. Um, I don't know if you remember Courtney, they did a story on Ferrari introducing what they called the uh, performance development division. Um, And this was a brand new initiative that in some ways has been headed up by Rory Byrne from an advisory perspective. It's now being headed up by Enrico Guardelli who appropriately is named the head of performance um, and development. So he will be fronting that. Of course, this will be the first time that we would have seen the results of their labours and see how successful this um, this development division is. Um, and from what we understand, it's kind of like a senior layer. So you've got all your areas that are sort of delegated to different things. And then it all meets in the middle to sort of have the last check at that level to say, yep, that's great. That sign off part to make sure it's all. So, in a way, it's kind of like adding another layer to the current working structure at Ferrari. Whether that, you know, it results in better performance, I don't know. But I suppose, tell. I suppose, would it would it make sense to say that Ferrari, as nice as it is that Ferrari have added another layer to this checking process, does that mean that they never had that before? That Ferrari just had all the other areas working different departments and then they just all come together and say, look, there's your pieces, put the car together. To be honest, mate, it wouldn't surprise me in the slightest um, if that was the case. There definitely have been issues with the management there. Um, They've needed a revamp for a very long time. So this could be the golden chalice that they need to really Hmm. get themselves up there. But not just just a one-off season. They need to be, a team of that size needs to be regularly competing at the front. And it does. And there needs to be a cultural shift really but these kind of managerial changes are a start but they can't distress in their laurels and leave it here hmm. i mean i say this when you know a lot of people will be talking about the stuff that's going on on track and the issues there and don't get me wrong i've not ignored those things because there are issues on track i remember the pit stops in bahrain when they were sending issues with the wheel nuts it's even sebastian vettel himself mentioned which caused a lot of delays in pit stops you know Red Bull were churning out sub two second pit stops as if they were going out of fashion. Ferrari was struggling to make sub three second pit stops. And, you know, a lot of reasons for that. But the the actual in-race antics aren't necessarily going to be Ferrari's priority for 2021. In a way, their mindset would be if the car is good and they get everything right in terms of the structure to make it quick, everything else just sort of fall into place. Um, And and that's kind of the ammo that Ferrari are going with for this season. Um, They also mentioned a brand new simulator 
that's going to go online around uh, sort of halfway through the 2021 season. That's the plan. And again, this is something that I've found really strange that we know Ferrari have had correlation issues with wind tunnels uh, in terms of the data that they get there and on the dynos versus what they see on the actual track. They don't match up. They always seem to be either overestimating, very rarely underestimating the performance of their upgrades. The Ferrari have not really had an underestimation of its car's performance since 2004, you know, the story of that car famously um you know so it's something that ferrari have had to address and would you say it's a bit surprising that a team of ferrari stature and resource have only now uh invested in the resources to put it on par with a team like mercedes i mean we seem surprised that ferrari can't keep up but when you see stories like this you think it's like mercedes have got the ps5 and ferrari is still playing with a ps2 like what's going on guys well, you're right. It's it's shocking. Like I've just automatically assumed that Ferrari did have all this up-to-date standard-of-the-art technology to help them compete with the very front. But maybe this is another example of the management previously resting on their laurels, just thinking we're Ferrari, we've got the money, we should be able to compete. You know, you need you need to be ahead of the game, particularly Formula One. You need to be ahead of the game. You can't just be trying to just keep up with Ferrari, um, Mercedes, and Red Bull. You need to be thinking of ways to finding loopholes in the in the regulations, but, but to get ahead. But also, yeah, things like this, you should be you should be getting this, the latest technology coming through. You should be actually even investing in brand new technology that other teams haven't thought of to get ahead. So it's mind-boggling to think that they're actually behind to the standard that they were. Mm. And this is the worrying thing, because this is also going to transpire to the quality of the 2022 car. You know, just because they're introducing this in the summer does not mean that Ferrari are going to have a 2022 car that's being properly correlated to this new simulator. I mean, future cars may benefit from it, but the next one won't. And it's going to be so important that they get these technical regulations correct, because if they don't, they're going to find that the reorder or the reshaping of the pecking order is going to see other teams ahead of them rather than more teams behind them. So it's a really important thing they need to get right. They are making steps in the right direction, but it's just, this is not the sort of news you want to hear as a Ferrari fan from a short-term perspective. It certainly needs to be uh, perhaps more patience, but it's not something I expected to hear from Ferrari now. I kind of expect this to be on top of it. But um, look, you know, I've been going on a lot about this. This is a subject that I am pretty well informed on. Um, being an interest of mine in particular that's <laughs> yeah. um, Courtney obviously you you um, on the social media pages asked some of these followers to give some of their thoughts and expectations on Ferrari um, what do you got <laughs> yeah so first of all um, George Allen seems to be sharing that sentiment um, he expects Ferrari to do a little bit better compared to last season but a, a little bit better for Ferrari could see them go right up the uh, the championship. So even a little bit better would be good and uh, would be good enough for them. So you know, fair play, George. I reckon, yeah, we're pretty much on the same boat on that one. Um, Lee Wallington, um, a previous host, um, someone we should definitely get back on. He has very good insight, and I, I liked what he said here. He said uh, Ferrari will be the best um, Ferrari powered team. So, so that would be a successful season for him if that was happening, wouldn't it, Adam? Yeah. Um... <laughs> not that it's weird because it's not something that 
you'd expect to really celebrate or consider uh, Ferrari being the best Ferrari power team. It almost goes without saying that the manufacturer should by nature be better than its customers. There were a few occasions last season where Kimi Raikkonen in particular ended up finishing higher than the works Ferraris did on outright pace. I think Belgium was the first time that they achieved that. It wasn't the only time. It was the first time it happened in about a decade or something like that. It was really crazy. I think, uh, yeah, since... Uh, a, a non-works Ferrari beat the works Ferraris without any retirements. It was madness. And it does sound silly and we laugh about it. And in a way, you know, it, it, it does prove that the issues that Ferrari were having with the car, not necessarily the engine, because they should in theory be running the same spec engine as what Ferrari were. Um, you know, so this is a worrying thing for them that it's not an expectation. It, you know, it should be a, a God given almost without saying, but uh you know, that there is pressure on Ferrari that they can't afford this car to be any worse than what it was last season relative to its competition because they don't want to get sucked into that battle again. Absolutely not. No, that would be embarrassing. That would mm. be massively embarrassing. So I can see on your face you do not want to be seeing that. Um, no, I hope not. And quite, quite interesting. I like, I like the other feedback that we got because we've got someone that sort of expects them to do a little bit better, someone expect well, jokingly expects them to do worse but the last uh, bit of feedback we got was from Sarah Purvis and she expects Ferrari to do a lot better than expected she expects Ferrari to surprise a lot of people given the hard work that, that a lot of people expect them to have been doing over the course of uh, last season and over um, after the season ended obviously but she went on to ask a question which is you know it, it, it could could get some varied uh, response here but she asks Will the driver lineup give them the ability that Ferrari will need to get back to the very top on a regular basis? Hmm. That's a very good question. And in addition to answering that question, I'm going to put that to the rest of you watching this. I want to comment in on Sarah's question. And in an, in a nutshell, it should. There's a lot of evidence to suggest that Ferrari will expect better performances all round from their driver lineup. Carlos Sainz has been brought in to replace Sebastian Vettel. And I think on the back of what we saw last season where Vettel struggled, that alone would be enough to suggest that a new, young, hungry, talented driver like Carlos Sainz in his first, with all respect to McLaren in their current situation, with the first real major team that he's been in, they should expect him to do very well. Now, it's not going to be easy for Carlos. He knows that. It's a very steep learning curve. You know, he's got, uh, I think today, uh, at the day of recording, he uh, had a go in the 2018 Ferrari, or he might do a bit later on. I can't remember if it's today or not. I know it's a lot of the young drivers were having a go today. I'm not sure if he was one of them. Um, you know, to get up to speed, he'd be working on the simulator, of course. He's been doing that already. And he's only going to have a day and a half of running during the pre-season test. And that's at best. So if Ferrari have issues, it's going to be even less. It's so limited on the actual running. And he didn't get to take part in the young driver's test that Fernando Alonso got to take part, which was a bit uh, silly, if you think about it. Um, we're not going to go into that. We did an episode of that, so I'll put a card up for that as the reasons why that was a bit silly. But Carlos himself, forget the rivalry into team with Charles Leclerc. You know, forget that. If you look at it at its core down to its core statistics, Sebastian Vettel only scored 33 points last year compared to Charles Leclerc's 98. Sebastian scored almost half of those rate points in one race in Turkey when he got a podium. Given how poor he was overall, 
that season and what I expect from Carlos Sainz, there's absolutely no doubt in my mind that if Ferrari produced a car that's at least as good as what it was last season, Ferrari should expect better performances all round from, may not necessarily from Leclerc because he was outstanding in a lot of times, but at least from their number two driver. And as I said before, Carlos, very talented driver, brilliant signing for Ferrari, all things considered. He really grew on me last season. You know, I had my doubts and I wanted Daniel Ricciardo in that Ferrari. I think a lot of people that watch this podcast or listen know I wanted Daniel to be the number one choice. I still believe Daniel would have been the better choice, but given what we've seen from Carlos and what we're hearing, I'm very optimistic that Ferrari can challenge, um, be at the front of the midfield, assuming the car is better performance with both of their drivers really on it. In terms of whether they can challenge Mercedes and Red Bull, I said already Mercedes probably a, a well a few steps too far not just one um they're racing in a different league to everyone else and only red bull have the means and the drivers to really take it to them mm. even now but with the changes in the regulations it might impact mercedes a bit more this year you know the removal of das of course uh, changes to the floor naturally we i saw something the other day at mercedes producing over 3000 kilograms worth of downforce which is more than any other formula 1 car has ever recorded it's incredible i think it's about 1100 kilos more downforce than what the 2014 car produced it's incredible stuff from mercedes but if because of that the the uh, restrict you know the removal of certain downforce elements of the car is going to impact the better teams more so than the others. So it will bring Mercedes closer to the rest mm. of the pack, assuming that they don't recover as much as everyone else. So in Ferrari's case, Sarah, to answer your question in a short way, yes, I expect them to perform better with Carlos Sainz. There's no doubt in my mind that he will do well. Um, but I I will stick to what I said before, and that is I expect Ferrari to be at least at the front of the midfield but probably not much further than that. Um, yeah, I have mixed feelings when it comes to this lineup. Um, I have no doubt in the ability or the potential that Charles Leclerc has. I, in, in the future, I expect him to be the main challenger to Max Verstappen. So I think Max Verstappen will be the main guy once Lewis leaves. But I do, yeah. Um, Leclerc will be the main challenger. Like, oh, generally, over that generation. Um, but... If you have a look at this driver lineup, this is the first time since 2007 where Ferrari haven't had a world championship winner in their team. Mm. And as much as Sebastian Vettel tailed off last season, having a four-time world champion championship winner in your team and the experience that he brings to mainly the development of the car, and we saw this happen with Kimi as well, both of these drivers were valuable to developing the car. And I do wonder if Ferrari are going to miss that experience this season. I, you know, particularly given the time that we're, in, that we're going in between two big regulation changes. Could this be... Could this be to a detriment to Ferrari? But at the same time, seeing the job that Carlos Sainz done for McLaren, he was definitely a big part of their resurgence. And I have no doubt that he could do the same for Ferrari because they actually need a driver like this right now. So, yeah, there's definitely mixed feelings about this driver lineup. Yeah, I mean, it's a good point. And there's always that concern with Ferrari that because of the youthfulness and uh, not necessarily lack of experience, there's a lot of experience there between Leclerc and Carlos Sainz. But um, despite their age, 
But you're right in pointing out that there is always that concern that less experienced drivers from a technical perspective aren't as good at helping the team develop the car over the course of the season. I mean, a lot of people forget that the driver does actually have a lot of input in terms of where the team improves the car because he's the one that's driving it. And if he says the car is fine and fantastic and it's not performing well, then they're going to think it's the driver. But if the car is bad and the driver's giving that feedback saying the car's not good here, the car's not good there, they can take that brief, you know, the briefings are for that reason. You know, Lewis Hamilton has been saying for a long time, you know, it may not look it, but the drivers actually do play a huge role in the development of the car. And you're right to point out with Kimi gone and Seb gone in, uh, you know, a few seasons, Ferrari have lost a lot of intel and a lot of experience and knowledge on how to make this car good. I would argue as a caveat, as you've already mentioned, that Carlos Sainz has been quite instrumental in the success of the McLaren uh, improvements over the last two years, especially given that his teammate is much younger and less experienced than he is in Lando Norris. As much as Lando has obviously been involved in the McLaren family, you would argue that Carlos has played as much of a role as anybody in improving that car. So Ferrari would have known this and been able to take that going forward and probably would come under the assumption that Carlos has been very much, uh, you know, is more than just a driver in that regard. And that will help Ferrari going forward. So, Yes, there are doubts and concerns, but I feel like Ferrari have got two very good drivers that can help take them forward. And I think Ferrari know what they need to do going forward. So even if they had two drivers that weren't, uh, you know, didn't have that technical prowess in terms of making the car better, I think they've got everything they need to make the cars better in general. So I'm not worried in that regard. I, if it were me, I'd be more concerned about the opposition. And you mentioned this already, Courtney. Um you know, you, you said already that the old cliche that no one stands still in Formula One. And if you do stand still, you're only going to go backwards. The other teams aren't going to do that. Forgetting Red Bull and Mercedes, because they're obviously competing on a different level to everybody else, where Ferrari should be. McLaren next season are going to have the Mercedes engine. Now, whilst there is a massive advantage for, for McLaren to have that Mercedes engine in terms of performance, they will have to accommodate having a Mercedes engine in the car. And it'll be the first time they've had one in uh, seven or eight years. And the car was not designed. The original concept was not designed for a Mercedes engine. Perhaps they designed last year's car with that in mind that they were going to have to incorporate the Mercedes engine in there. Probably not because they expected us to be using the 2021 cars, which are now gone back to 2022. Um, but that is a factor for McLaren. Renault, of course, now become Alpine. Fernando Alonso is going to be heavily involved in that team now. And they're obviously going to be looking to make ways going forward. Aston Martin, let's not forget them, have got huge resources and huge backing and, and Vettel as well that will not only make them a more prominent challenger in the midfield immediately, but could make them a serious threat to the whole, uh, to the championship in F1 in the future. You know, very much so. A lot of people tipping Aston Martin to be Mercedes' big challenger. And let's not forget AlphaTauri. Some races, they had the third best car, AlphaTauri. They were very, very strong in certain races. So as well as Ferrari looking at the baseline performance of their own car, they have to have a lot of consideration for their opposition, Courtney. In your opinion, how significant or how much will, how hard will Ferrari find it to overcome that level um, that their opposition are going to raise their game to, because there's only a small margin they really need to find, but how hard would that be for them in your opinion? Well, this is exactly why I feel the driver lineup is as important 
as ever. Um, with with McLaren, they're they're on an upward trajectory. They're gonna they have two competent drivers in Lando and Daniel Ricciardo, who will be very hungry, given this could be the first very good car he's had in a long time. So they're gonna find that difficult. And with Aston Martin, definitely another team that's very hungry to be going for championships in the future. And what I find the most intriguing, I, I think this is going to happen quite a lot next season. I think that Ferrari are going to have a lot of battles with two of their exes in not only Sebastian Vettel, but Fernando Alonso. And I, I think mm. for Ferrari, this season could be another soap opera for them. Yeah, I'm certainly, in, in a weird sadistic way, I'm kind of hoping that it is uh, for the entertainment of it. But I'm not going to lie, if Ferrari were on their own in third place, not quick enough to catch the Red Bulls, and the only battle that Leclerc and Sainz had was amongst each other, again, I would not be too amiss of that. But, um, you know, everyone wants to see a good show and everyone wants to see Ferrari in the thick of it, not necessarily having it all their own way, regardless of what their objective is. But as I said, there's a lot to take, a lot to consider, you know, we're talking about Ferrari as things that they need to improve on their own, almost as if that as a standalone will be enough to move them into the top three. It won't. They they have to make sure that they not only improve their own performance, but they increase their performance at a curve that's much steeper or at a rate much better than everybody else's around them. So, you know, that's something that they were doing towards the end of last season. They were making gains, but not obviously not enough because the margin between them and McLaren was way too big. You know, McLaren was 70 odd points ahead. Um, look into 2021 and beyond as a, you know, to wrap this episode up. Matty Bonotto himself has said that Ferrari have got a lot to balance in terms of their priorities for 2021 and 2022. John Elkin, of course, earlier in the season said he did not expect Ferrari to be competitive until 2022 at the earliest. Um, and Louis Camilleri, unfortunately has had to retire earlier than usual for personal reasons not sure why that was but he had very much had this long-term sustainability approach embedded in ferrari's plans going forward but now he's gone he was a very much a big backer of benotto one of his key allies at board level benotto's kind of got a difficult decision on his plate in terms of development going forward so i'm going to put the question to you what you think they should do and what you think will happen first of all ferrari have mentioned and benotto has mentioned that he can't afford another inadequate season like last year. And he believes that if Ferrari have a similar level of difficulty at the start of the 2021 season, they may have to shift the bias towards 2021 rather than focus primarily on 2022. They don't want to write this season off. But given that in mind, first of all, do you think Ferrari should adopt that approach? And if they have to adopt that approach... Do you feel that Bonotto himself might end up being on borrowed time in terms of a team principal? Well, the problem that Ferrari have is the the short-term, long-term dilemma. Um, it depends how far behind Ferrari are. I think if, if Ferrari are sort of in the sort of centre, shall we say, of the championship, maybe fourth, maybe fifth, then I think that would be comfortable enough for them to move on to 2022 because they have to get that right. If they don't get 2022 right, they could find themselves behind for quite a few years and that could be almost uh, catastrophic for them as a team. doesn't matter how big you are. It could be catastrophic for them. But at the same time, as we stated earlier on in the episode, if they, if they are so far behind at the start of the season, 
they have to be finishing high enough in the table in the table to be getting the funding. Mm. So it is it's the conundrum is short term, long term, but it does depend where they start. If they're at the bottom, they have to put resources to catch up. But if they're in the midfield, safely in the midfield, then they should definitely be looking at 2022 to get them closer to the top when the regulations change. Hmm. Uh, there's not much carryover for 2022. Uh, I think probably the only significant carryover will be the engine. So there is reason for Ferrari to focus on the engine in the short term and the long term mm. as well. Um, in terms of Matti Bonotto, as I already said, he had Louis Caminari, who was a huge backer of him. And in a lot of ways, I've I've not really felt that Matti Bonotto as a team principal um, has done a bad job, but I also feel that perhaps his expertise should be more at the technical level rather than at the helm at Ferrari. Like, um, you know, people talk about the success of Mauricio Bene compared to Matti Bonotto, the different styles and approaches, and perhaps the relationship they had before where uh, Matti was like the number two to Maurizio and that they were in, you know, he was running the show. Matti was doing the technical stuff behind the scenes. Perhaps Ferrari's management kind of took them both out of their comfort zones and kind of made things worse rather than better. But given the structure that they have at the moment, if Ferrari have an equally difficult season and have to prioritize or make that decision, do you feel that Bonotto will be on borrowed time and that he won't be able to see this project through? Because there are a lot of questions over whether or not he can actually lead Ferrari to their former glories. And let's be honest, Courtney, team principals at Ferrari have been sacked for a lot less. Mm. If if they get 2022 role, then Ferrari will be in full crisis mode and I expect him to leave. If they get 2021 wrong in order to get 2022 right, I think he'll be okay. Mm. And, and 2022 is huge I mean we cannot understate how important it is to get this right because if Ferrari prioritise 2021 too much and don't develop the 2022 car enough in the way that they failed to do so with the engine in 2014 it's going to shape the pecking order for years to come and as I said already Ferrari are aiming to win a world championship in 2022 or win races in 2022 at least they could find themselves not even in the midfield battle and languishing at the back. And if you think it can't happen to them, well, it's happened to Williams, it's happened to McLaren, you know, it, it's happened to big, all right, no one as big as Ferrari, but, you know, it, sometimes you can chuck as much money as you want at a project, but if you're not allocating the right resources, by the time the budget caps get introduced, Ferrari will not have the luxury of being able to spend three or four times more than anyone else to fix these issues. Right. They won't have that luxury. So, you know, let us know what you guys think. Um, I mean, I, I myself have been rambling on for ages on this Ferrari t- topic, but it is important, um, you know, to find out what you guys think about this, where you think Ferrari are going to be next season. How do you think they're going to perform? How's Carlos Sainz going to do with Leclerc? We haven't talked too much about the teammate rivalry between them. I personally don't think there's going to be much of an issue between the two at first. I think it may take a year or so before Ferrari start to have any sorts of issues between uh, those two fighting for dominance in the team. What do you, what do you think, Courtney? Um, uh, not sure. Given how Carlos Sainz was with Max Verstappen when he first came along, he'll be very keen to stake mm. his claim very soon, um, particularly at Ferrari, where they're very much beyond one driver, aren't they, typically? So he'll be wanting yeah. to make a statement very soon. No, absolutely. And whilst I don't think Carlos is going to try and ruffle feathers too soon... Um, it's probably fair to say that Leclerc is certainly not as subservient in this position as Lando Norris was. And and I mean this with a great respect for Lando Norris, because I don't believe he plans on being a number two driver forever. 
but he's the sort of driver that knows that he needs to build his portfolio up and he has challenged Carlos a lot in the McLaren. Um, but I know Leclerc is not going to want to surrender a position that he wrestled away from Sebastian Vettel um, to the new uh, Latin sensation, if you like, for lack of a better way of putting it. But uh, yeah, I don't think there's any more we can say on this, guys. But um, let us know what you think. How do you think Ferrari are going to perform next season? What areas do you think Ferrari needs to focus on in order to have a good 2021? And also, uh, do you think Ferrari need to write 2021 off and focus purely on 2022? Or how far would you strike that bias between the two seasons? Let us know what you think. And uh, also don't forget to follow us on social media, on Instagram and Twitter. The handles are below as well. And of course, if you are listening to us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or Google Play, you can also check this out on YouTube as well. If you like the video, don't forget to like, share the video and subscribe to the YouTube channel as well. We've got our targets for this year. We're looking forward to plenty of new projects that we're going to be working on this year. And you guys can help us reach our targets. And we couldn't do this without your support anyway. So thank you so much to everyone who has tuned in and uh, shared or subscribed to the channel already. All that's left to say, Courtney, is uh, thanks very much for joining me on this uh, big, big debate and analysis on what yeah. Ferrari have had to do, have to do for next season, at least from our perspective, at least. Yeah, you know what? It was, uh, I found this to be quite an insightful episode and I'm actually impressed. Given how much was said, you really did control the monologues, Adam. I, I had fears <laughs> that you was going to be in full Ferrari mode, but you, you did, you... You controlled your urges, and it turned out to be a very good episode. So, <laughs> I had a completely different thing in mind there, and I'm not going to go into that because <laughs> <laughs> certainly away with words. But um, yeah, no, that, that's I mean, some of our viewers might not agree, but I appreciate the sentiment nonetheless. I do have a way of going off on a tangent uh, every so often. But anyway, of course, guys, as I said, next week our big 2021 predictions episodes with a girl talks F1 really looking forward to working with Manana on that one. Courtney as well, of course, looking forward to getting her insight, your insight as well. And also our own, let us know as well on the comments. We're also going to be putting out some uh, requests for you guys to put predictions out for 2021. When we do, let us know what you think. What are your predictions? And let us know some crazy ones, some ones that might be unlikely, but things you think might happen next season. We'll have to uh, definitely be looking forward to seeing that. And we'll be reacting to the best of those in that episode, as well as giving our own two cents on 2021 as well. So all that's left to say, Courtney, thank you so much for joining me on this episode once again. And uh, thank you guys for tuning in. Make sure to stay safe as always. And we'll see you in the next episode of the DNF1 podcast. Take care. See you soon. Podcast Network.